Amaretto by Goose Writing. A Good Omens Podfic, read for you by Arkafira and George. Chapter 2 Acknowledgement The Next Morning When Aziraphale awakens and begins going through the motions of his morning routine, all is completely normal. It's as it should be. For fifteen minutes he forgets what had transpired the previous night. Then, as he's reaching up to wash his face, he sees it. The ash-black circle in the center of his right palm, one that forces him to recall the scent of sulfur, of brimstone, the red smoke fog that chased the silhouette of him, of a devil, of Crowley. With an unnatural calm over his entire being, he bends to wash the soap off his hand, then dries it. Immediately following, he sinks to sit on the tile of the bathroom floor, his unmarked hand pressed flat to his forehead. There he sits, mumbling quietly to himself like a man gone mad. He can hardly believe it actually happened. For a few blissful minutes, he forgot about the previous night's transpirations, but upon seeing the sigil, there's no denying it. Memories of the night rush back with breathtaking clarity. He doesn't regret making a deal with a demon, or at least he doesn't think he does. Perhaps it'll be nice. Crowley seemed perfectly pleasant. He doesn't regret the deal, no, but perhaps he does regret not asking a couple more questions, like, what's it like to be tortured in hell for eternity? And, are you going to torture me yourself, or is that not so much your bag? Aziraphale raises his sigiled hand to look at it, sighing. Ah, well, nothing can be done for it now. He may as well accept his fate and jump in with two feet, he thinks. He takes a look at his pocket watch. 7 a.m. Is it impolite to summon a demon before lunchtime? He'd rather not find out firsthand whether or not Crowley is the type of not-morning person to take his rude awakenings with a side of demonic violence. No bother. He'll just wait till later. Once up, brushed, combed, and ready, he pads to the kitchen. He figures he ought to eat some breakfast, the thought in mind that maybe having something in his stomach will make him less shaky. However, as he crosses the threshold into his little dusty kitchen, he sees his single nice pan lying in the sink with the ashy remnants of this past morning's attempts at pancakes still encrusted on it, and this is how he ends up puttering around, tidying his little kitchen nook while his breakfast of coffee with cream and sugar percolates in his ancient coffee maker. He avoids the dishes for as long as possible, wishfully thinking about how nice it would be to not have to do them. As he putters, he accidentally catches sight of the sigil a few more times. Every single time, he's caught off guard. Not only is it going to take some getting used to, having a demon to do his bidding, as if his bidding is going to be anything worse than some dusting, really, but it's going to take a moment for him to grow accustomed to the fresh, black mark on his palm. After his third time being startled by the presence of the simple demon circle, he huffs to himself, grabs his coffee, sugars it, and bustles downstairs to open the bookshop. At every reminder of his pact, he's been brought back to the same question. Do demons sleep? Would it be rude to wake Crowley so early? 
He resolves to wait until the afternoon to summon him either way, just to err on the side of caution, but also thinks it wouldn't hurt to ask. Once he approaches his desk and puts his coffee down, he picks up a pen and poises it over his left wrist. At 7.27 a.m. Earth time, Crowley is making his way from the boiling pit to the sulfurous field when he feels his arm tingle. Upon raising it to see what's going on, trying to angle it so that the message is visible in the light of the molten cavern, he sees three words in hastily scrawled black pen. Are you awake? Perfect grammar, beautiful cursive, and it takes a moment for him to remember what's going on at all. Oh, yes, he contracted a human yesterday. He'd nearly forgotten, but as he looks upon the message, there's no avoiding the truth. As a demon, he tries to avoid the truth as a whole, but the truths in contracting are highly non-negotiable and completely not dodgeable. He's contracted now. He doesn't regret entering a contract. He doesn't think, but it's been a couple millennia since he's done it. He wishes he'd had the foresight to ask some questions like, are you an incorrigible dick? And will you make this hell on earth for me? Because honestly, I'm a bit tired. Ah, well, not as though he'd have been able to get out of it anyway. He can't dwell on it. Plus, Aziraphale didn't seem to be too horrifying of a person. He'd know he's seen all manner of horrifying people down here in hell, and frankly, he's sick of every one of them. He pulls a pen out of the ether and writes back, I'm always awake, Crowley scribbles in his scratchy handwriting. You don't sleep? Aziraphale asks in polite response. I'm not even sure I can, TBH, Crowley answers. There's a distinct lack of response for a moment. Then, Can I summon you any time, then? You can do whatever you like, the demon writes back. Another long hesitation, and then he responds. Oh, very well. Crowley continues on his previous path, sort of waiting for more, sort of assuming he's about to be summoned anyway. Neither happens. He begins to wonder if Aziraphale contacted him just to ask a question, but he arrives at the screaming basin before his train of thought can get that far. At this point in his long, long life, he knows that there's generally not much you can think of at the screaming basin other than the screaming, so he doesn't even try. Aziraphale had already set himself on not summoning Crowley until at least noon, and he's not great at changing his plans, so he decides not to. He goes about his business. He double-checks new stock, prices a couple of outliers, and opens his shop. By the time that it's 11, a few people have wandered in and out while on errands, a few to say hi, a couple to buy a long-awaited book, and a few more loose tourists who have nothing better to do. It feels normal, which is what bothers Aziraphale. Nothing's really normal anymore, is it? He found out yesterday that demons exist, that you can make pacts with them, and that they aren't necessarily all horns and spikes and fire. They're not even necessarily scary, he assumes. Everything that's implied by the mere existence of a demon such as Crowley challenges every infernally-oriented theological idea that Aziraphale has encountered over the years. It bothers him, sort of, not to madness, but it bothers him. 
He's sitting at his desk, his foot bobbing in time with the Tchaikovsky record he's got playing as he scribbles away at his ledgers. All day he's felt an itch in the back of his head. He's done his damnedest to ignore it, attributing it just to his new knowledge and the nonsensicalness of it all. But eventually the itch gets to be too much, and he can't just sit there anymore. He can't. As he paces his shop up and down the aisles, menially straightening the perfectly straight books on his shelves, he feels the itch get worse. It gets so bad for one gleaming moment that he has to squint his eyes against the tickle of it, against a new, insistent pressure. When he opens his eyes fully again and allows the room to focus, one thing stands out in his vision. The black, leather-bound book that brought Crowley to him in the first place. He finds himself inexplicably drawn to it. It somehow contrasts its surroundings with blinding intensity, as if sketched in a darker, softer pencil than the rest of Aziraphale's world. Unable to think otherwise, Aziraphale picks it up, and its leather is just as soft on his palms as it was the night before. With painstaking carefulness, as though rough movements would offset even more demons from its pages, Aziraphale totes the book over to his desk, setting it down and opening it. At first he decides he's looking for the recipe that summoned Crowley before. He doesn't have to open the book more than a page to understand that this time is different. Something about the ash circle on his hand permits him to see more. It's not that the writing has changed, no, it's that Aziraphale can understand it. What was no more than unearthly runes and symbols to him yesterday has become a narrative. Not just any narrative, either. Crowley's narrative. What's more baffling is that as he reads it, he realizes that this narrative, it begins in 4004 BC. It speaks of a snake and an apple, and Aziraphale slams the book shut. As he does, he re-registers the snake on the cover of it. Was Crowley... No, there's no way. It can't be possible that the human-looking, rough-talking demon he's got a contract with was the Serpent of Eden. Although, all things considered, perhaps that wouldn't be so wild. He thinks of those yellow, yellow eyes... Either way, he keeps the book shut, choosing to throw it in a drawer to be thought about later. It decidedly overwhelms him, and he is not easily overwhelmed. With the book contained and the itch scratched, his other cognitive senses tell him to take a lunch break, so he does. When he's back, the 12.15 that he reads on his antique clock reminds him that he told himself he'd summon Crowley at noon. He sets his to-go coffee down, leans against his desk, and steals himself with a breath. Then, as he'd been bidden, he taps thrice on the sigil on his palm. Almost like when Aziraphale originally summoned Crowley, in one moment he's not there, and in the next, he is. Aziraphale blinks, and in the second that his eyes are shut, the demon appears in a puff of red smoke and is present from that point on. Oh, Aziraphale says. Hmm? responds Crowley, looking as surprised to be summoned as, perhaps, someone who is regularly summoned shouldn't be. I, I just... You weren't quite expecting that to work, were you? Crowley asks, and it would be patronizing for anyone else, but he seems painfully genuine. 
To be honest, I thought it would take a bit longer. I haven't had time to make you tea. Aziraphale hums, looking at his own to-go cup of coffee and fiddling with his hands. Crowley can't tell if he's lying. Well, I'm here. Crowley prompts. What would you like? Aziraphale perks up immediately. Oh, yes. Good afternoon, dear. How was your morning? Rather than be taken aback by the lack of commands or tasks or what have you, Crowley decides to take this in stride after only a moment's hesitation. He physically dips his head back and forth as if deciding between two options with which to answer, making some unsure Crowley sounds as he does. Well, no morning in hell. Generally it's just fire time or screaming moment. He gestures with his hand as if to say, there's more, but eh. Aziraphale blinks. Hmm, all right, uh, how was your fire time? Crowley shrugs, leaning himself coolly against a table. Uh, just all right, if I'm being honest. Never been a fire time person myself. The quirk of Aziraphale's head accompanies his storing away of this information. Fair enough, dear boy. I, do you want something to drink? Coffee? Tea? Crowley makes a low, questioning sound. Your offering? Aziraphale nods in a confused affirmative. Ah, uh, then I'll take, uh, just a black coffee. Aziraphale, quite pleased, smiles at Crowley and moves from his perch at his desk to bustle over to the bookshop's kitchenette, the same one they forged their contract in, Crowley notes. As he enters, Aziraphale beckons to Crowley. Make yourself comfortable, dear. Remember our arrangement. The capital A is inferred. Suddenly aware of his standing around, Crowley makes for the seating area in the back room. He doesn't sit, rather, he hovers near the armrest of one of the overstuffed chairs, where he can see Aziraphale through the doorframe. He isn't sure what to do with himself without concrete commands, such as kill the traitors to our kingdom and make sure the cult is extinct within the day. Those things give him structure when it comes to contracting. What's he supposed to do? Meanwhile, in the kitchenette, Aziraphale picks through an assortment of novelty mugs, finally settling on one and pouring Crowley a mug of hot, semi-fresh coffee. He lingers for a moment, wondering idly if he should bring some sugar for Crowley anyway, but he figures the demon knows his own preferences well enough. He comes out of the kitchen with two mugs in hand, and nothing more. Sit down, Crowley. You're stiff as anything. Here. Aziraphale hands Crowley a mug of coffee, then makes for a particularly well-loved armchair with his own coffee, once in a paper-to-go cup, transferred to a mug of its own, in hand. Bidden to Aziraphale's command, Crowley sits on the love seat, his coffee clutched in his pale hands. He looks at the cup, which proudly declares, Yes, I drink pens and pencils. Aziraphale, significantly more comfortable now, but still quite stiff regardless, sips his coffee. Now, can I ask a question? I must admit I am dreadfully curious. Mm. Crowley hums an affirmative as he takes a swig. Then, after he swallows... Shoot. What's hell like? I've been thinking about it, and... Well, I was already wondering, but I figured if my soul is to be damned there... I'd like to know the climate, shall we say. I mean, I assume since I'm now bound by demonic law that I'll be sent there eventually, but correct me if I'm wrong. Throughout this entire spiel, he is perfectly pleasant. 
If a being, such as, say, a cat, were to listen to him say this, and could not understand his words, but could parse his tone, it might guess he's talking about, well, any number of more sunny-sided topics, really. Rainbows, books, puppies. Crowley is altogether astonished by this. His face crinkles up. Satan alive, Aziraphale! How morbid! It's our first day. Aziraphale, lips pursed, looks at a point on the ceiling. He didn't think it was such an outrageous question. Well, I was simply thinking and... Think about something better, then. I don't want to talk about hell, not on our first day. Crowley insists. Very well. What would you rather, then? Aziraphale asks primly, taking another drink of his coffee. He moves his pinky, which wears a golden signet ring that glints in the low light, and it draws his eye to what his mug says. Mondays aren't a fan of me, either. Crowley adds it to his mental tally of odd mugs, and blinks. With the blink comes a call back to reality. Crowley shifts on the couch, his leg hopping restlessly. Literally anything, he answers. Aziraphale hums. His eye tracks up to the architecture of the ceiling, then down to his mug, where his finger taps the rim. Crowley isn't quite aware of the fact that he's, perhaps, checking Aziraphale out. He's inspecting him in full in the dim backroom light, from his well-worn tan oxfords to his wispy blonde curls. As Aziraphale looks into his mug, the tuck of his chin causes a little roll of fat to make itself known, and Crowley registers it. How much he finds it aesthetically pleasing and soft, like the rest of Aziraphale. In the same moment that he snaps out of his ogling and realizes Aziraphale is struggling to find something to talk about. Um, how did you find my book? Crowley asks, trying to alleviate Aziraphale's anxiety but not quite knowing why he's so desperate to do so. His lack of self-awareness could be called a fault. Oh! Aziraphale squeaks. Um, my friend brought it in. She found it with some other books outside the library. Since I restore books, she figured she'd drop them off here. Someone just left it somewhere? Crowley asks. Well, I assume so. I'm not actually sure how it got where it got. Aziraphale shrugs. Right, yeah, of course. Crowley mumbles, taking another swig of his coffee. Makes sense, why would you? Unsure of what to say next, they lapse into an odd silence. Crowley becomes hyper-aware of his leg's restless bouncing, but is unable to stop it. After a few moments, Aziraphale drinks a bit of his coffee and levels his gaze on him, more than a bit concerned, but allowing none of it to show in his features. Are you anxious, Crowley? No, why would you think that? Crowley asks anxiously. You haven't stopped shaking since you sat down. Aziraphale notes, nodding at Crowley's leg. What reason do you have to be anxious? I'm the one in the company of a demon. Aziraphale has a point. Crowley makes a few non-committal sounds and sets his coffee down, willing his leg to quit it. I'm uh, not used to this. Usually I get uh, ordered around more. Not used to just talking. Ah. Aziraphale murmurs, the corners of his lips turning upward. He gets up from his armchair and wanders from the back room, coffee still clutched in his hand. Follow me then, dear boy. As the endearment passes his lips, he isn't sure how it slipped out, but he can't very well take it back now, can he? 
After setting his coffee atop the cluttered oak desk in the main room, Aziraphale leads Crowley to an empty shelf and a cart burgeoning with a multitude of books. A closer look reveals that some of the books are old and worn with time, and others are shiny and new, outfitted with brand new leather covers that look to be hand-embossed. Crowley picks up a copy of Pride and Prejudice, bound in green leather. What's all this? If you prefer to be given things to do to be comfortable, then we can reshove these, Aziraphale suggests, picking up a stack of books. They need to be re-alphabetized and reshelved in order. Oh, and catalogued accordingly. I've been working on reorganizing the shop's inventory recently, but I seem to have lost my steam. Maybe you can help me get back on track. Aziraphale places the stack back down with a thump, then folds his hands on his belly, smiling. He looks like a kindly professor. There's something huggable about him. Crowley kind of wants to. Hug him, that is. But demons aren't afforded that kind of warmth. Ah, all right. Crowley responds, placing his coffee on a nearby table in order to shuffle through the books for a closer look. I can do that. Wonderful. Aziraphale grins. Crowley expects him to wander away to tend to other things, but instead he sidles up next to Crowley and begins to dig through the pile as well. What are you doing? Crowley queries, leaning away from Aziraphale as if mere contact with his demonic form would burn him through his layers of tartan and velvet. I'm not going to leave you to do it alone, dear boy. I did say we. He states, completely sure. I just figured, if you're wary of an active conversation, we could talk while we work instead. Crowley is at a loss for a moment. He'd all but forgotten the terms of their contract. Spend time with me. He's so used to taking care of things for others that he'd forgotten that this contract didn't require him to. Of course, Crowley says dazedly, scooting over to permit Aziraphale more room by the cart. What do you want to talk about? Well, I already... We aren't talking about hell. I'm drawing that line now, Aziraphale, Crowley asserts, holding a hand up to quiet him. I'm not going to cater to your gruesome curiosity yet. When he looks over to Aziraphale for a reaction, he only catches a look, a sure and mischievous smile that tells him that this bastard will have his curiosity catered to, one way or another, no matter how gruesome it may seem. Before they can begin to actually talk, Aziraphale briefs Crowley on the system he's using to organize his books. He fetches a ledger for reference, and Crowley finds himself utterly charmed by the look of half-moon glasses perched on Aziraphale's nose. Once thoroughly briefed, they settle into companionable silence in order to organize the books by Aziraphale's modus operandi. Aziraphale puts a record on at a reasonable volume. An honest, unironic record in the year 2019, yes, and a classical one at that, and hums along to it quietly as he inventories books and settles them in neat piles, ready for shelving. Eventually, they fall into an easy synchronicity. Aziraphale catalogues the books in his ledger, then hands them off to Crowley for alphabetizing and shelving. Every now and then, Crowley chooses to linger on one of the titles he's handed, his absent-minded wondering about the types of books Aziraphale stocks turning into a conscious browsing. Every time that Aziraphale catches Crowley inspecting one of the books he's handed, something in his chest seems to tug. They stalk and chatter for a while, finding commonalities despite everything. 
Crowley insists he isn't much of a reader, but he recognizes a lot of the books that pass his hand. I've been around quite a while, he says as justification. You see lots of things when you've been around as long as me. Is it insensitive to ask you how long? Aziraphale asks, certainly not thinking of that black leather-bound tome in his desk drawer. Is it like asking a lady's age? There's a twinkle in his eye that Crowley has only seen once or twice. But damn, he thinks he might like it. Insensitive? Crowley snorts. I'm a demon. Insensitive is supposed to be my whole thing. Is it? Is it what? Well, is it your whole thing? Or is it just supposed to be? Aziraphale clarifies as he hands him a copy of Sense and Sensibility. Uh, Crowley stammers. I'm not sure I know how to answer that. You don't have to know how, Aziraphale answers, and the playful glint in his eye brightens. You just have to answer. Crowley scoffs with equal parts disbelief and amusement. You're right, bastard, you know that. So I've been told, Aziraphale responds, preening. They fall back into their pattern again, Crowley chuckling, Aziraphale pleased. Their conversation is unremarkable until Aziraphale passes a restored copy of a first edition of Dickens' Great Expectations into his hands. As Crowley shelves it, a card falls from its pages. He picks it up, inspects the golden embossed text on the front. AZ Fell and Co. Booksellers, owner, Aziraphale Fell. It has a number, an address. It must have fallen between the binding when Aziraphale was tidying his desk, or was otherwise lost or thrown aside. Perhaps he was using it as a bookmark, even. It's the first time Crowley has seen Aziraphale's name in print, and his brow furrows. It's a nice name, he says, cadence clear. Aziraphale just turns his head to look at him, mouth pursed and eyes caught on the card in Crowley's hand. He huffs, snatches the card back, and looks away after a second, turning his focus back to his cataloging and tucking the card in a pocket. I'd appreciate if you didn't make fun. Crowley's eyes widen behind his glasses. Or not. Oh, please. Aziraphale scoffs. I've had the name for all fifty-odd years of my life. At this point, I know when people are making fun of it. Or maybe you're just assuming the worst. Crowley counters. Really is a nice name. Bit of a mouthful, but that's besides. Aziraphale pins him with a blinding blue stare for a moment, silently surveying Crowley's face, and eventually finding him trustworthy. Then he laughs, just a little bit without much humor. It's funny you think so. It's the name of an angel. Crowley matches his single humorless laugh. (laughs) That's sort of ironic, huh? Aziraphale snickers. Quite, he says, the corners of his mouth curled up just a bit. With the way the light breaks through the window and limbs him in white and gold and motes of dust, for a moment, Crowley has the thought that the name fits him.